Hey, make some noise if you're excited to be in church today. I want you guys to know I'm excited to be in church today, but I do want to let you know that um, I'm obviously pretty sick. And uh, so if I cough up a lung on stage or go into a medically induced Sudafed coma, somebody just come grab my iPad, read my notes. You'll all get saved. I promise. Okay. Man, I'm pumped to be here today. Um, you know, invitations can change everything. I was in my friend's college dorm room when I got invited to try something that changed the rest of my life. I got invited to try sriracha sauce. What'd you guys try in your friend's dorm room? Got the feeling y'all tried something different. If you've never had the red cocaine, I'll tell you, uh, it's the perfect blend of sweet and spicy. And sriracha was really the gateway drug into my hot sauce addiction. And uh, I love hot sauce today, but it all started with sriracha, okay? Uh, if you've never tried it, you need to. You see it everywhere now. It's at Asian restaurants. People put it on their hot dogs, on their macaroni and cheese. It's just everywhere. And I did a little bit of research on sriracha preparing for this week. And I learned that the company's been around for 35 years. I learned that they produce about, they sell about 20 million bottles of this stuff every year. And they do $80 million in revenue. And ever since the company started, they've grown by 20% every single year. Now, here's the crazy thing that I learned about Sriracha is they've never spent a dime on advertising. They haven't updated their website since 2004. Y'all remember what websites looked like in 2004? Like nine different font colors, things are like glowing and blinking. It's all been word of mouth. One person inviting another person to try it, who then invites another person to try it, has caused this product to become a global phenomenon. A product that's known throughout the world has never been marketed. It's crazy. And it's, it's developed this cult-like following and changed the way that I'll eat food forever. I mean, they better have sriracha in heaven in Jesus' name. You know, Christianity um, is a lot like sriracha. When it comes to this movement, you and I are the marketing department. You and I are called by Jesus to be walking billboards to be the kind of people who invite people into the adventure of following Jesus, who invite people to experience the greatness of our God. You may, or, you may not have known that you've got a job in this Jesus following business, but you do. Welcome to orientation. Like, let me read for you. Your, if you follow Jesus this morning, if you're a Christian this morning, let me read for you your job description real quick. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in if you call yourself a Christian, if you love Jesus, follow Jesus. If you've gotten in on the goods of knowing him, of salvation, redemption, freedom that is only found in him, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Has anyone been made new this morning? Anyone got new identity, new habits, new hope for the future? Anyone had their marriage made new, got a new group of friends, a new way of seeing hope and seeing life, a new sense of value and self-worth that is only found in Jesus. Anyone made new? 
Well, being made new comes with a new set of lenses to see. It comes with new passions and new priorities and a new purpose. And that purpose is this, that all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Time out, y'all. Gave us, like you and me, like us, the ministry of reconciliation. Patrick, where are you at? Can we get a worship leader out here real quick? I'm about to do an altar call because all y'all just got called to ministry. Like so often, we think that ministry is like a, like a me thing, like I'm the minister, but ministry is an us thing. And it's actually my job to equip you, to prepare you, inspire you, encourage you, shape you, challenge you to do ministry. Every single one of us, this is an all play. You've got a part to play in this mission that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's the good news of the gospel right there, that no one is too far gone for Jesus, that anyone can be forgiven in Jesus' name. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God has trusted us with this message. He has made us his representatives. When you get invited to the family of God, it always comes with a plus one. Who you bring into the party, who you inviting into the family. One of my good friends used to say this all the time. He used to say, uh, ask the question, where was the gospel going when it got to you? And where's it supposed to go next? Somebody invited you, and now it's your turn to invite somebody else, and it never stops being your turn. And I've got this belief within me that we need to recapture the imagination for the power of invitation. We've got to recapture the imagination for what it could produce and what it could accomplish and what could happen because there is so much power in invitation. Invitation can change everything. You know, I was a junior in high school when I got invited to a, a workout for a private school um, to try out for their basketball team. And I got invited and I went to this tryout and I worked out and that invitation to try out for that basketball team led to an invitation to go to that school via scholarship, school I could have never afforded to go to. And that invitation to go to that school via scholarship led to me going to that school and uh, laying eyes on, let me just be real, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. And I invited her on a date. And she said no at first, but I wore her down. And that invitation to go on that date led to me continuing to invite her on dates for the next 13 years of my life. And I'll be dating, inviting that little girl on dates till the day I go home to be with Jesus. Invitation changed my whole world. If I wouldn't have got invited to that tryout, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have my daughter. I might not even be here today. When I was in the fifth grade, I got invited to go to this uh, church camp called Frontliners. And uh, Frontliners was a church camp that was only for high school students. So I wasn't even supposed to be there. But somebody saw something in me. Somebody called out some potential in me, and they invited me to come be a part of this camp that I wasn't supposed to be a part of. And it was at that camp that I heard this guy by the name of Ronnie Hill preach like I'd never heard preaching before. I mean, I heard people preach, but I never heard people preach, you know what I'm saying? 
And so he was bringing it, and it just, man, it opened my eyes to something that I just wanted and wanted to be a part of. And so at the end of the camp, Ronnie Hill gave this invitation for anybody who felt like maybe God was calling them to ministry to come down front and respond to that call. And fifth grade me, wearing this, like, real baggy Hawaiian shirt, wearing, like, the zip-off jean shorts. Y'all remember the zip-off jean shorts? Some dads are wearing them right now, probably. And like bleach blonde dyed tips because I wanted to look like the rapper Eminem. Like, you don't believe me, I got a picture to prove it, okay? Like that was me. <laughs> and I walked that aisle down front, responded to an invitation, and I said yes in the fifth grade to giving my life to make Jesus famous. And you know, I'm so glad that I did it when I was in fifth grade, when I was young, you know, before I had excuses. Because you get old and you grow up and you get these adult responsibilities that are really just disguised excuses. And that invitation led to something that changed my whole world, changed the way that I spent my whole days. But you know, invitations, they don't just change my world. Invitations change the world. In uh, 2001, Kate Middleton uh, sat down in her, the dining hall at her university to eat her lunch. When somebody walked up to her and invited her to sit at another table, Kate said yes to that invitation and she sat down next to Prince William. That invitation led to her rubbing shoulders with a prince who would eventually invite her out on a date and then would eventually invite her to be his wife. This common girl, nobody became royalty because of the power of an invitation. It changes the world. In 1955, the leader of the local chapter of the NAACP invited a 27-year-old pastor to their meeting. And it was at that meeting that they began to devise a plan to do bus boycotts. And the leader of that chapter of the NAACP asked this 27-year-old pastor, he invited him to lead the bus boycotts. Martin Luther King Jr. said yes, and the rest is history, all because of the power of an invitation. Invitations change everything. I don't want for you to miss this. The power of an invitation. An invitation has the power to change everything in a person's world. And an invitation has the power to ch for a person to change the world. One invitation has the power to change everything in a person's world, and one invitation has the power to ignite a person to change the world. There is no limit to the power of an invitation, and Jesus knew this. Jesus saw this. This is why Jesus was like the master inviter. Jesus always inviting people. You'd have loved to be Jesus' friend. You never got left out. He's just always including people, always bringing people along. He's always saying things like, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. He's always saying things like, let anyone who is thirsty, come on and drink. Come and have breakfast with me. Jesus is always inviting people to dinners and parties and dinner parties, and no one's getting left out. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is that there are no qualifiers to the kind of people that he'll invite. There's no reservation or hesitation when he looks at a person and goes, ah, I don't know if they belong here. It's one of the beautiful things about Jesus that he's always looking for people, seeking people out, finding people where they are, and, and inviting them into a life that's beyond what they could imagine. 
He invites them into a, 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 a life with him that changes everything about them. Like, think about the Samaritan woman, right? This woman that he meets at the well who's had five husbands and is currently involved in an extramarital affair. He could have just seen her as a lost cause, but he sees through where she's at to where he wants her to be, and he invites her, and she becomes the greatest missionary her city has ever seen. Or, or think about the vertically challenged tax collector who's hiding in a tree. You remember all Zacchaeus? Jesus invites Zacchaeus to have a meal with him, and Zacchaeus becomes quite possibly the greatest transformation story in the New Testament. Changes everything about him all because of an invitation. Or what about the 12 disciples? These are guys who had been passed over, overlooked, deemed not good enough, and so they had gone fishing. But Jesus invites these fishermen to begin to follow them, follow him, and they turn the world upside down. An invitation changes everything. This is what I love about Jesus, is that Jesus doesn't just see people where they are. Jesus sees where they could be. Do you just see people where they are? Or do you see people where they could be? See, I think one of the reasons we don't invite so often is because we look at where people are and we go, we think they don't need God. They're not interested in God. They would never follow God. They're too far gone from God. We just see people right where they are, but Jesus sees beyond where people are and he sees where they could be. Do you see people like this? Do you see your, I don't know, maybe your, your, your friend as their life is just a train wreck, they're such a mess, they've just thrown it all away? Or do you see them as being an invitation away from transformation? And do you see your brother as, man, just a screw-up, as a mess-up, as somebody who's just wasting their life, as lazy? Or do you see him as an invitation away from discovering his destiny? Do you see the lonely as an invitation away from belonging, the addict as an invitation away from freedom? Do you see your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your family and your coaches and your teachers and the people in your neighborhood, do you see them as being an invitation away from eternity with Jesus or eternity without Jesus? Do you see where they could be? Jesus always does, and he never, never, never sells Invitation short. He's got unbelievable expectations on what could happen inside of the power of an invitation. It's unreal. It's extraordinary. Because Jesus knows that the, the power of invitation comes in invitations multiplication. That people who get invited see that it's so good that they can't keep it to themselves, and then they share it with somebody else. This is the power. Now, have you ever noticed or ever been curious why in the Bible so often when Jesus performs a miracle, he says, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Keep it on the down low. Keep it on the hush hush. Keep it on the shh. Don't tell anybody. I always found that confusing. Like I thought that he was trying to spread this message, trying to build a kingdom. I would think he wants people to tell him. And there's so many reasons, right? It wasn't his time. He had prophecy to fulfill. He didn't want things to escalate too quickly. But, but there's this instance in the Bible where where Jesus kind of takes the guardrails off and he shows us what happens when he doesn't tell people not to tell, but he encourages them to go and to invite. And so I want to look at that story today. And in this story, we're going to see this guy who's a mess, 
A guy who all of us would look and we go, he's a mess. There's no way that he would respond to an invitation. He's too far gone. And Jesus sees beyond this guy's mess and he sees to this, he sees to the miracle that could happen in the life of this guy. And this miracle begins to multiply in a way that I don't think that you're ready for. So Mark chapter five, we'll pick it up in verse one. They, uh, being the disciples and Jesus, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted out at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of the man, you impure spirit. Now, we don't know a lot about this guy, but we know that he's crazy. We know that this guy's been bound and chained, and so he's like in the ancient version of a mental hospital. Scripture says that he's been screaming, so he's having like constant state of panic attacks. It says that he's been cutting himself, so he's possibly, very likely, suicidal. This guy is crazy. He is broken. And we know that this guy has gotten to a point in his life where it said, the scriptures say that he lives among the tombs and so he prefers the company of the dead over the living. What has to happen in a man's life? How unwanted does he have to feel to think that he belongs, to think that he feels more comfortable amongst corpses? People just saw this guy where he's at and I think that there's such a spiritual lesson there that if we push people away from life enough that they eventually will just make their home in places of death. And so Jesus has this interaction with this guy and, and it's crazy that we don't really know a lot about him. We don't know how he found himself in this space. We don't know his story. We don't know his background. We don't even know this guy's name. And so, you know, we're just gonna give him a name today, okay? I don't know, we'll get, uh, Kanye, okay? We'll call him Kanye. I feel like there's a lot of parallels, you know? And he's from the Middle East, so let's just call him Kanye East, okay? This feels perfect. I mean, think about it. The, the guy's crazy, broken, life's in shambles, he's a mess. He's in a mental hospital, has an encounter with Jesus, changes everything about him, and then he tells everyone. Feels like there's some parallels here, people. Feels like there's some parallels here. So we got Kanye East, and he sees Jesus, and he falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus begins to talk at the, to the demon inside of this guy. Look at what he says. He says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Now, that word legion um, in the first century would have been a word that was used to describe a group of Roman military soldiers, a group numbering from five to 600. And so this guy has 600 demons inside of him. And I think that there's such a powerful spiritual lesson here that some of you guys probably came in here today feeling like the storm inside of you was so big, but I want for you to know you've got a savior who's bigger. Uh, you may have, I love that the demons are afraid that the demons respond to Jesus, that they bow down to Jesus. 
Because you may have come in here today with 600 reasons why God couldn't use you, 600 reasons why God couldn't love you, 600 reasons why God wants nothing to do with you. But I want for you to know that if you will kneel before your Savior, that Jesus will take care of your problems. That there is no limit to what could happen when God steps into the story. And so he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And so he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, I always wish that at that part of the story, I always wish that I could, like, go back and be there for that part of the story. I wish that I could, like, hop in the DeLorean, take my mom with me, go back to the past and stand there as the pigs were jumping off the cliff and just be like, Mom, look, pigs do fly. And then all the things she told me I could never do until pigs fly, I got to do right then. Wouldn't that be so funny? That was a weird part of the story. All right, so those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to, the see, to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This is so interesting. This guy who's been crazy, this guy who's been bound night and day, gets healed. Like, like think about it. This guy has, who's been crazy, he's been in a mental institution. He lives in a graveyard and based upon the detail we just got from that section, that he's sitting there clothed, he was a previous known streaker. Who wants that guy running around? And Jesus shows up, he heals this guy, he's sitting there in his right mind, and the people want Jesus to leave. They don't want anything to do with it, which I think there's a great spiritual lesson in that. People are always going to misunderstand the miracle. When Jesus starts to move, it's going to make people nervous and afraid because they don't see the bigger picture of what God is doing. And so these people start to tell Jesus, who's just healed this demon-possessed man, Kanye East, that he wants, they want him to leave the region. They want him to get out of there. And so that's what Jesus does. He gets in the boat, look, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I want for you to see here that Jesus prioritizes invitation, that Jesus holds invitation up and a life of invitation up with more significance, with more weight, with more spiritual significance than so many other things. Think about it. This guy says, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus, like, you've, you've changed me. Like, I'll leave it all behind. I just want to follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll leave my hometown behind. I'll leave my family behind. I know I just, like, got my life together, and I should be so excited to, like, you know, get things started in my life. But I'll leave that all, and I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Jesus goes, no, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to go and tell. 
Jesus prioritizes invitation over theological development. He prioritizes it over some Bible study. He prioritizes it over going on a mission trip. He prioritizes it over church attendance. He wants this guy to live a life that is marked by invitation. And so he sends this guy out and Jesus leaves. And we know based upon what happens in Mark's chapter six and seven that Jesus begins to do ministry in other cities and other towns away from the Decapolis. He leaves that region and he performs miracles and he preaches sermons and he does ministry and it's great. But then something happens in Mark chapter seven, verse 31. In Mark chapter seven, verse 31, we see that Jesus comes back into the region of the Decapolis. He comes back to the place where he healed this demon-possessed man. He comes back into a town where when he was there last, nobody wanted him there. Everybody wanted him to leave. Everyone asked him to go. And now Jesus comes back into the region of the Decapolis. And we know that in Mark chapter 8, while Jesus is in the Decapolis, that he performs one of his most famous miracles of all time, the feeding of the 4,000. How many of you are familiar with this miracle, right? It's one of Jesus' most famous miracles. It's really dope. He takes like a, a Lunchable and feeds 5,000 people. It's crazy. There's just a couple loaves of fish and, uh, or a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and he turns and he feeds 4,000 people. But we know that it would have been more like 12,000 people because they would have only counted men in that day. So there are 12,000 people here who are showing up to hear from Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Have you ever asked yourself, where did these people come from? Where did they come from? I mean, last time that Jesus was in the Decapolis, nobody wanted him there. And now 12,000 people are showing up to hear him speak, are showing up to interact with him and encounter him and hear about who he is. Where did they come from? Now, this part isn't explicitly in the scripture. There's no Bible verse that says this. But when you, if you do some good hermeneutics and you connect the dots, I think, and a lot of other theologians and scholars think, that what happened is that this man who was possessed by demons, who Jesus said that you cannot come and follow, but you can go and tell, took that really seriously. And he went throughout all of the Decapolis, and he told everybody about what Jesus had done for him. And he began to invite. He said, hey, you remember me, right? I was the streaker. I was the guy who lived in the graveyard. I used to holler and scream, and my life was a mess. But look, I got clothes on. I'm in my right mind. You're welcome. In Jesus' name, he, he healed me, and he can heal you too. I believe that this guy went to every single one of those 12,000 people, and he invited them into the same radical life change that had happened to him. And so 12,000 people got to experience a miracle. The miracle that happened in this guy's life got multiplied in the lives of these 12,000 people. And it just got me thinking this morning, church, that if one guy being deeply impacted by what Jesus had done for him lived a life that was so marked by invitation that 12,000 people showed up, what would happen if we got the same reality? What would happen if we lived a life that was marked and influenced by invitation? Now, uh, tell, tell me if you live like this. Tell me if, like right now, you're inspired to go invite. Like you're so inspired to go invite, but you know that you're gonna like walk out of this room, you're gonna have an interaction with a person, you're gonna wanna invite them, but you're gonna talk yourself out of it. 
You ever had that experience before? I want to tell somebody about Jesus. I want to invite somebody to church, but then talk myself out of it, right? You, you start to hear the enemy whisper so many lies. Like they're not interested. They've got better things to do. They're going to reject you or, or this one. This is the, the best one. They're going to be offended if you invite them. Can we just like agree today? Can we put a stake in the ground and never forget this moment where we agree that there's no basis in reality for invitation creating offense? Nobody gets offended when they get invited to something. When's the last time you got like invited to a wedding and you were offended? Like it came in the mail, you saw the invitation and you were like, oh girl, no, you didn't invite me. I dated him in the third grade. When's the last time you were offended at an invitation? I've got invited to some weddings in Pennsylvania. I'm offended by how cold it is in Pennsylvania, but I still wasn't offended that I got invited. Do you know when I am offended? When I don't get invited to things. Like I think about growing up, uh, when I grew up versus growing up today, like, like when I grew up, like let's say like I didn't get invited to a party, okay? It never happened. But let's say that it did. I didn't get invited to a party. I never knew about it. Like, I never knew about it. I didn't see pictures or anything like that. But today, if you don't get invited to a party, it gets posted on Instagram. People are storying it and highlighting it. And you know that you get invited to that party. And what do you feel? You feel unwanted and unwelcomed, undesired. Do you know what an invitation does? An invitation says that you are wanted You are welcomed. I want you to be a part of this part of my life, this part of my life that is so significant and so meaningful and so important. I want you there. You are wanted and welcomed in this place. Can you think for a second about all the places today that people aren't wanted and aren't welcomed? Think about the division in our country. My opinion isn't wanted in that conversation. My perspective isn't wanted in that uh, conversation. Think about the isolation that people feel, where they just feel unwanted and unwelcome, where maybe I I wasn't rich enough to be wanted in that club or wanted in that neighborhood. Maybe I wasn't smart enough to be wanted or welcomed into that college or that graduate program. Maybe I wasn't talented enough to be wanted to be a part of that team or to be hired for that job. I wasn't wanted and I wasn't welcomed. I wasn't cool enough. I didn't have the right style or the right family to be wanted in that social sphere. People feel so forgotten, so marginalized, so unwanted and unwelcomed. And I'm here to tell you that the church of Jesus should be the most welcoming place on planet earth. And an invitation should say you are wanted and you're welcome. That's all that it says. So could we just agree to that today? And could we also realize that we're inviting people to way more than a church service? When you invite people, you're not inviting them to a church service. You're not just inviting them to take part of your religion. You're inviting them into a relationship with the God of the universe. You're not inviting people to just um, come, you know, be good and have their life together. You're inviting them into encountering the living God. Like the scriptures say, where two or more are gathered, that God is, is there also. There is something really powerful that happens when the people of God gather together that doesn't happen when they don't. When the people of God gather together, when you look at it in the Bible, crazy things happen. Walls shake, miracles are performed, people get saved, baptisms happen. Crazy things happen when the people of God gather together because God is there.
you know, I love this movement that we're in right now. Um, I raise my hand where we're marking the moment for people who are raising their hand and saying yes to Jesus. And, um, you know, I've been in ministry 12 years and I've had probably tens of thousands of opportunities um, to share the gospel and give people an opportunity to respond and raise their hand. And afterwards, I've had so many conversations with people about, you know, where their life was and how they got to this place. And I've asked people very, very regularly, like, hey, did you ever think this was going to happen today? Like, did you walk into church thinking, yeah, everything about my life's getting ready to change today? Like, I came in here today, a hot mess, didn't care about God, wasn't interested in any of this, but I'm going to leave today. Never watch rated R movies, never, cu n never cuss, only sing worship songs, and pray all the time. Did you come in thinking that was going to happen today? Every single person says, absolutely not. I just walked in here thinking I was going to hear some guy talk, listen to some songs, and then leave. But then God showed up. God met me, and he changed the trajectory of my life. There's... So much power in an invitation. An invitation could change everything for anyone. This is the power in an invitation. There's no limit to what could happen when people get in this space and when people get in this place. I want to close with this. Romans 10. This scripture is a scripture that I memorized and that I learned for the first time when I was at that frontliners camp when I gave my life to ministry, and this scripture has changed my life. It says this, Romans 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful truth. Every person, no one too far gone, no one unreachable, everyone who gets invited can have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want for you to know that there are people all over planet Earth. There are people in your circle, in your sphere, in your life, that Jesus is crazy about, that Jesus was murdered for on Calvary. There are people that God wants to rescue, people that God wants to love, people that God wants to pull close to his heart, and they don't know it. They don't know it. And how are they going to know it unless someone tells them? Someone's got to tell them. And that someone's got to be you and me. When it comes to Christianity, you and I are the marketing department. When it comes to this message moving forward, you and I are plan A. And there's no plan B. There's no other way that they're going to know about the hope and the life that is only found in Jesus unless you and I tell them. I wonder if it's gotten lost on you and if it's gotten lost on me that the same God who created the oceans and the stars and the mountains has staked his reputation on us. 
I wonder if we've gotten so busy with the perceived importance of our lives, of our individual lives, that we've forgotten that we've got this mission that's so much bigger than ourselves. That we've got something so much more important to live for. I wonder if we've forgotten the dignity and the value and the worth and the significance of God passing this responsibility to you and I. I was trying to think this week about something that could communicate the significance of us having this responsibility of carrying the power of invitation. And I started to think about the thing that made me feel the greatest honor in my life. You know, there's no emotion like the emotion that comes when somebody tells you that if something were to happen to them, that they were gonna leave you their child in their will. The rush of emotions is pretty uncomparable. Your first thought is, I don't know if I've got money for that. And then you start to think, me? You trust me? You want me to raise your kid? To protect them? To fight for their security and their future? To form them into the human that they're gonna be? You want me, you trust me like that? In the event that something happens to you? I want for you to know that 2,000 years ago something happened to Christ on Calvary. And when he died, he passed the responsibility of taking care of his kids to you and me. He said, I've got kids, billions of kids all over planet Earth. And they don't know that I love them. They're lost and they're lonely and they're searching. And I need you to go find them and bring them back home. And every invitation you and I extend is the opportunity for one of those orphans to come back home. This is the dignity. This is the honor. This is the responsibility that you and I carry with the power of invitation. So let me ask you, who's your one? Who's your one? I want you to hold, think of a name right now in your mind, hold it there. Who's that person that's not in church, that's far from God, that maybe you've looked over, that you've just seen where they're at, but you need to see where they could be. Who's your one? I want for you to know that God put their name in your mind because the enemy sure as heck don't want them there. God put that name in your mind on purpose and it's your purpose to extend to them the power of invitation. I was thinking about this season that we're in leading up to Christmas. Leading up to Christmas and I started to do some research about how open, how receptive would people be to respond to an invitation. And I found that in the week leading up to Christmas and Easter, that on average, the word church is typed into Google 16 billion times. Now, do you know why that's so staggering? There's only 7 billion people on planet Earth. That means people are looking. They're searching. That means that whatever happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary was so significant that it's still echoing all throughout human history into people's hearts today where they know they need him. And they're an invitation away from finding him. So I just challenge you, who's your one? 
It doesn't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to know all the answers. You're called to just be Jesus' witness. Just tell them about what Jesus has done for you and invite them to come experience it for themselves. Use one of the invite cards that we've given you. All you've got to do is be his witness. You don't, you don't got to be his attorney. You don't got to defend him. You don't have to have all the answers. You just bear witness about what he's done in your life. And you invite people to come experience the same. There's no limit to what could happen. Now, I know that there's some of you in here today who've probably gotten invited. And you're coming back to the church for maybe the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever. And you're starting to hear these truths about God, that there's a God who loves you and who's pursued you and who's made a way for you. And if you're honest, you feel like you fumbled in today as an orphan. You've been searching and looking for significance and meaning, and you haven't found it, but you're starting to believe that maybe today is that day that could change everything for you. And I just want to give you an opportunity to come home. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know today that what you've been looking for in all of your life is Jesus, and you want to say yes to him today, if you're tired of doing life on your own, if you're tired of floundering, if you're tired of searching, if you're tired of being lost and alone, I just want you to cry out to him today. You can just repeat after me. It's a simple declaration. Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of doing life without you. And I surrender to you today. I know I've sinned. I know I fall short, but I believe you paid my debt on the cross. And I believe you rose again. Jesus, I want to rise again. I want a new life. I want to follow you. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I just want to mark that moment. On the count of three, I'm going to uh, I'm going to count down from three, and when I get to one, I just want you to raise your hand in the air as a sign of saying, I'm done. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm giving him my life. I'm in on this movement. I'm responding to the invitation that Jesus has extended to me. Three, two, one. Raise your hand. Yeah, I see you. Praise God. I see you. Jesus sees you. God, I'm so grateful that your mission, that your movement is unstoppable, that what you started 2,000 years ago is still continuing with us today. And God, I'm grateful for the people who got invited and who said yes to that invitation and whose lives will be forever changed today. And God, I pray that you would just birth something in us that makes us never content, that makes us never forget about those who aren't here yet. Let us believe in the unstoppable power of an invitation. I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.